Welcome to the Inside Inside Sales Podcast with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us every week as we interview industry leaders and experts to uncover the ways they're finding sales success today. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. How are you doing, folks? It's another episode of the Inside Inside Sales Show. I'm Daryl Prail. Nice to meet you. It's like a new year. Like I know it's not a new year. We've been in the new year already for a while, but it, to me, I'm still in new year mode. Um, and in new year, you know, I'm in lockdown. I'm back. I have a temporary office space. So true story. The challenges of working from home. Um, I live in the country. I live in a beautiful, idyllic, I just wanted to use the word idyllic, idyllic country rural setting. And, uh, and it's great. We have land. We have privacy. The dog has lots of room to run. Life is grand. Except my, my internet sucks. It's bad. Um, it's so bad. So my internet is what's called, well, it's, it's LTE. Theoretically, they call it LTE radio. It's truly, it's line of sight, which means I have an antenna on a TV tower, like 60 feet in the air, pointing at another antenna down yonder that, you know, maybe, you know, 20, 30 miles away that goes to a fiber optic line. The problem is, is they had already oversold the service way, 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 like you wouldn't believe. And then work from home hit, and then everybody was at home. And uh, so it just can't handle the capacity. So I was really smart. I went and I got an LTE, a true LTE, you know, mobile cellular modem to supplement for when I'm doing live productions and I'm going off the local cell tower that I can literally see at my back window. It's just right there. So I know I'm close. And I get great speeds, like really great speeds down and up. Uh, I mean, it's not gigabit, but, you know, I'm probably getting 50, 60 down and, you know, 20 up. The problem is LTE, it's not consistent. So I could be talking to you and I you know when you're doing streaming or podcasting, it's all uploads. I could be talking to you and then all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. And three seconds later, it's back. And this is what happens. And that's fine if I'm in a casual Zoom meeting, but when I'm doing productions, that ain't so good. Kind of like when you're on a video call, the sales rep, but I'm with a prospect, right? You are working, you're on a Zoom call with a prospect, you want to have a consistency. So what I've had to do is I've had to get a shared office space that I go to and I book a boardroom when I do these conferences and I set up my gear every time, got the light ring, got the camera, got everything going on, got the mic, got the sound device so I sound, look good. I make myself all pretty, as pretty as I can be. I'm presentable so that when I'm talking to my beautiful guests, which you're going to meet shortly, they think I'm all swanky and competent. Again, not unlike what you should be doing when you're having your Zoom calls with your prospects. It's amazing. I've got to tell you how often I have Zoom calls and I'm seeing you folks in these, I'll just call janky setups where you have poor lighting, you have poor quality in your video, you're using the built-in microphone on the, ca on the computer, there's echo galore, and I'm just going to say this, dude and dudettes, if you care about making an income... Invest a little bit of money in your setup. That's my little soapbox for today because people like me who have the budget who buy from people like you actually make judgment calls on that kind of silly stuff, right? So that's just an FYI. I know you've heard it before. I know you've got other things to do, but stop putting it up. Make that investment. So what have I been doing for a while? You will notice in every single one of my podcasts, 
I ramble a bit. I give you five, four, five, six minutes, and I talk about me and my personal life. And, you know, I just like to share. I love this relationship we have. We connect with one another, and, and, uh, but I ramble. Some might say I do word vomit. These, in fact, you know I do, you know that you think I do word vomit if you typically jump ahead, you know, you hit the 30 seconds ahead, 60 seconds ahead, whatever, in your podcast app, because you don't want to hear the ramble. You just want to hear my stars and what they have to say. That's called word vomit, and you just don't want to hear it. That's great that you can do it. Don't you think that you can actually, in a pod player, you can jump ahead? Can you imagine how much faster our sales meetings would be if when you're talking to a prospect and a prospect, you ask a simple question and they're rambling and they're rambling and they're rambling. You just go, yeah, 30 seconds ahead. Yeah, 30 seconds ahead. Yeah, 30 seconds ahead. All of a sudden, your day would be so much more productive. It would be fantastic. I love that. Someone's got to invent that. But the irony is, often it's not the prospect who rambles. Often, I hate to say this to you, friends, often you ramble. I've had it way too many times where I have you fine folks call me and I've given you time on my calendar, that precious time on my calendar that you so desperately want. And what do you do? You ramble, you word vomit. And it just tells me that either you're not confident in your solution or you're not prepared or you're just really, really green. And that raises red flags of risk and lack of trust and uncertainty. And how soon can I get off this call with me like you wouldn't believe? And the irony is you actually may be a great solution for me with a cool offering, with like an immediate ROI. And you know it and you can see it, but you scared me away because of the word vomit. You're guilty of it. Not all of you. But in fact, I would change that. We're all guilty of that. Some of us have learned. Others haven't. So how do we address that? I've never heard this talked about on any other podcast. And I listened to so many of them. So I was thrilled when I was jamming with Ed Porter. He's the CEO of Blue Chip CRO. CRO they're a fractional CRO service. When he and I were jamming, he, he mentioned word vomit. And I'm like, oh, my God. I need you, Ed, to come on the Inside Inside Sales Show and talk to me about word vomit. And he said, well, you know, and then he took, you know, three hours to give me a lot of word vomit. And then he said, yes. So there you go, Ed, my friend. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. That's uh, probably an accurate description, too, about taking the three hours. That's certainly been something in that I'm painfully aware of is I am a talker and I've gotten better. My wife constantly reminds me of like blah, 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 get to the point. So she needs that fast forward 30 <laughs> seconds too. Get to the point. How many times have I been told that? Or if I said that to my wife, like my wife will say to me, you tell the world's longest stories, which is true. But the funny part is she does the same thing. And when I call her out on it, she gets indignant. You know, and I got symbolic of what we see with sales reps. We actually, we, we're all familiar with word vomit and we hate it when our prospects do to us, but we're doing it to them. So talk to me about, you know, when you say word vomit, I've given you my definition of it and what, what I think of it. But when you say word vomit, you're, you're the fractional CRO. 
You know, what are, what are, how, what are the symptoms? What is the definition of word vomit? I would know I suffer from word vomit if I demonstrate these tendencies. Go. Yeah. The, I think the first, the first part, well, the first part is most difficult because you have to recognize it. And that's the hardest part is to recognize when you have it, but you can start to recognize that when you feel like you've been talking for a while about the same things or potentially even have gone into different tangents. That's usually a good sign that this is a good conversation, maybe, but maybe I'm making it a good conversation and maybe the other person on the other side isn't. So that's that's usually word vomit that, that I like to kind of think about this is when you either get excited and just kind of blurt out stuff and you keep going and going. And that's where I think that happens a lot in sales is you're on a conversation. I mean, you're, we're all calling and striking out and not getting answers. So when somebody picks up, you're excited. And then when somebody agrees with a question that you say, then you get really excited. And that's kind of just starts that trajectory of, oh, you're experiencing this problem that I'm solving? Bleh. And then then it just then features just start coming out and then you start going to go in different directions. So it's kind of that excitement when you recognize that there's a commonality and you're trying to capitalize on that to try and say, oh, yeah, we can do this. Oh, yeah, we've done this with a client. Oh, yeah, they've had this kind of success. And you just go topic, topic, topic without breathing. That's kind of a good starting point to recognize, hey, maybe they're, they're maybe that word vomit is uh, is happening right now. So folks, let me give you some examples. If you find when you're asked a question that you don't clearly know the answer to, or you're not confident in your answers, that your tendency is just to talk and talk and talk. And you're, you're really, what you're really doing is you're throwing words against the wall and hoping something sticks and you can kind of answer it and move on. You, my friend, are guilty of word vomit. If you don't have a game plan going in, and the conversation meanders a lot. And then because it meanders, you go off on tangents and then you have dialogue. You're guilty of word vomit. And that's an interesting one because you actually may not be talking a lot, but what you are talking about is actually irrelevant and not pertinent to what the goal and the objective is of that meeting. So that's an example of word vomit. And if you really want to see if you may suffer from word vomit, let me give you a little task to do, a little task, okay? What I want you to do is this, and you don't need to be on with a prospect to do this. You can do this on your own. I would suggest maybe you get a colleague, maybe do your own Zoom call and ask each other these, these prospects because there's a certain number of things that you're going to go through over and over again on a sales call, you know? You're not, you're going to give your, your elevator pitch as an example. Well, you know, at Vanilla Soft, we are the most, world's most established sales engagement platform, blah, 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 blah. You're going to give your elevator pitch. So do this, seriously, with a colleague, just do it to each other, get a stopwatch. Every phone has got a damn timer built into it and ask some of those standard recurring Q and A that happen throughout every single sales call, discovery call, and, and, and just, you know, ask the question of your colleague, hit, go on the timer and time them to see how long it goes. So for example, an elevator pitch shouldn't take more than theoretically one minute to give. Does it take you three minutes or four minutes or five minutes to do your pitch? 
Well, that says either you don't know what the hell you're talking about, or more than likely, you have word vomit or a combination of the two. So simply timing it does a fantastic job to see if you are guilty of word vomit. So what I want to do is I've set the stage here. I'm all laughing. No one's judging because we've all done it. Hell, half the time when I finish my podcast, I go to my producer, Daniel, and I say, what'd you think of my opening monologue? And he kind of gives it that look, which is code for, dude, that was a lot of word vomit. And, uh, and often I disagree with him because he's clearly wrong, but occasionally I have a little bit of self-awareness and I hang my head in shame and I vow to do better next time. We're going to do this. We're going to take a break and then we're going to go fast and furious and we're going to drill down on lots of ways you can overcome this straight from Ed Porter. You have two options. Listen to this fine infomercial you're about to hear. I promise it'll be fast or... If you're at a computer, just go to www, oh my goodness, bluechipcro.com and check out Ed Porter. Or hell, just go to LinkedIn and follow him. He's a rock star. We'll be right back. CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time, make less than two attempts to contact them, and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing-qualified leads into sales-qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more. Blow your quota out of the water. How? By ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds, persistently, and with the cadence that is optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. Okay, so Ed, when we talked about word vomiting, and I know we had had a kind of a pre-show conversation, and uh, and one of the things you brought up, I don't want to control the conversation. This is your show, baby. You're the expert. But you you intrigued me. You made reference to the whole idea of scripting and messaging. And immediately when you said that, my mind goes, oh, scripting, man. That's (laughs) You're either for scripting or you're against scripting. Talk to me about scripting and messaging and the role it plays pro or con in word vomit yeah so i'm i'll first preface this by saying i am a huge fan of scripting but i'm going to put an asterisk at that to say uh not in the traditional word for word scripting what what i'm a fan of is is preparing and you want to have a preparation of what you're going to say when somebody picks up the phone, what you're going to say when you launch a discovery call, what you're going to say when you launch a demo, when you're midway through the demo, when you're showcasing certain features, how do you transition? So I want to have a game plan of what I'm going to say, how I'm going to respond. And I really became a fan of this through a gentleman by the name of Mike Brooks, who's the coins himself as Mr. Inside Sales. He wrote a book that is a phenomenal book um, called Power Phone Scripts. And when he started talking about this is he, he kind of starts the book by saying, when you contact a prospect, you can probably list a few common reasons why people say no to you. They either don't want to talk to you or maybe when they don't buy your product or don't move forward. So if you can forecast several different options, why not have some things in your 
in your wheelhouse to help support that or to overcome those. So that kind of got me thinking about, well, yeah, that makes sense. And a script can be word for word, but a script can also be just, you know, bullet points of where to go. So I'm, I'm a fan of pre-call planning, of preparation, and, and that's kind of where I'll go on the, on the scripting side. So where this parlay into scripting can very easily result in word vomit is when you've prepared so well for something, then you get to a point where that prospect starts to align with you and they start agreeing, or you start talking about pain points that you solve, and they take it to another degree to say, oh yes, this is just, we've been trying to solve this for years. And all of a sudden this light bulb goes off in your head and you just wanna pounce. And you, and that's kind of starts, it's that excitement that, hey, somebody, this resonates. And maybe that person either doesn't have the experience or the knowledge, the salesperson that is, to kind of have that patience, to exert that patience, to kind of lead that conversation in the direction. So when somebody, a prospect demonstrates it, you start to want to pounce and you want to go say, oh yeah, we had a customer just like you that experienced these types of ROIs, or we had this customer, I just got a phone with somebody earlier today that just had this. And you're just so excited to align because something that you said just just resonated with them that you'll start start building your own tangents and then you'll start talking about oh what they really liked was this feature and this feature was really cool because of blah 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 and then all of a sudden it's again a word vomit and what Daryl what you said earlier was at some point you become disinterested you're a prospect and now this person just rambling and it's like is that is that showcasing an unprofessionalism? Is it showcasing maybe something that isn't quite right with me as a as a buyer? So this is where scripting can kind of help prepare, but then you need to exert that patience so that you don't pounce when somebody agrees with something, and and that can be a good indicator to how you can you can take that word vomiting and and go to the nth degree. So I want to I want to stop there because. I've had this scripting conversation with many, many people. I've done debates on it. I think I did a debate with Benjamin Dennehy, the UK's yeah. most hated sales trainer. Everybody who's a fan of the show loves Benjamin. And, uh, and he was anti-scripts and I was pro-scripts. I'm like you. I think of them as a series of talking points. They are not verbatim sentences that you are to read. Uh, that way the sales rep can still imbue their own personality. But to your point, scripting, you think about it, it's a decision tree, right? The top down, you have your opening and it can go one of two, three ways. And, and you're thinking about if it goes in the second branch and they say no instead of yes, then here's the next talking points I want to cover off. And again, it's just a decision tree breaking down. And every segment of that tree, there are key talking points, benefits, discovery questions, et cetera, qualification questions uh, that you want to ask and gather, and I want to, because there's, there's, a, there's a thing I want to get to in a second about, there's a tandem that goes with this ask and gather. Um, and I remember having this conversation with Jeb Blunt on scripting and getting his thoughts. So Jeb is, you know, he's Mr. Author Extraordinaire, Mr. Uh, Mr. Speaker, Trainer, you know, he's gazillionaire, I'm sure. And uh, at his point, he was, he was all for scripting. And his point was, Daryl, why would I not have a series like you of talking points that would guide me to make sure I knew everything I wanted to say? And more importantly, 
it reminded me of what I needed to say, because you're right. I, you nailed it. And when you say, I want to pounce, but you don't want to pounce until you get all the answers. And when you see the script in front of you, you see the tree, you see the talking point. You're like, oh yeah, I got to go and ask that question. I want to pounce. I'll make a note on my sidebar here, circle back and talk about this item here. But before I pounce, I want to go and get and ask all these other things. That allows you to actually control the conversations. And the thing about sales is that you want to be in control, right? You want to control the dialogue. You want to control and influence the outcome. You can't do that unless you have a game plan and you can't, and that game plan has to have succinct talking points or questions. So I'm pro script. And the thing I like about script is it has key messages that I want to hit, phrases, buzzwords that could be relevant to my ideal customer profile. So who they are, industry terminology that they recognize and identify with. So it's not just a script, it's the message. So that's the first part. To control vomit, utilize the script and deploy the right message. So you're right on that. But you made a, you talked about pouncing. And that's, a, that's the second part of that. My tandem on the script was we often forget to listen. And the script forces us to ask a question and then shut up because we need to get the answer to that question because it's the talking point. And I find when you're pouncing and you're doing the word vomiting, you're not listening. So in my experience, if you just make a disciplined habit of listening, you consequently dramatically reduce the word vomit. Now that's my experience, you're the expert. I've only been the CRO for less than a year now. So you tell me, man. Yeah, so uh, certainly give yourself some credit because you've spent the time in sales and marketing and, and all of that jazz. So um, I, I, I think your perspective is absolutely sound. And the this whole talk versus listen is, is a, now that we've got these conversational analytics tools that are out there and um, now we can start to see some data around what's optimal or what's good, what's bad, what is maybe gray area. That's another area to start to kind of think about what, like what you said, you want to control the call. Controlling the call doesn't mean talking the whole time. It means understanding where you want to go. It's chess and you're playing a several moves ahead. So how do you anticipate those moves? And then how do you respond to some kind of deviation from that expectation? So that's, that's really what the control mechanism is here. So when you look at this talk versus listen, and whether you subscribe to the data that's out there about you should talk 40% uh, of the time or 44% of the time and uh, listen 56 or 60, depending, regardless if you subscribe to that, there's certainly merit in when you're at a discovery, when you're in a demo, when you're in follow-up conversations, it's, it's called a conversation for a reason, and it's to converse. And it's ask for information, receive information, start to, you know, kind of build this Q&A dialogue or storytelling. These are things that, that absolutely need to happen, and they can't happen and they can't evolve unless it's, it's a joint. Now you throw in other speakers that are on a call. If you're on a call with five or six decision makers or influencers, it's even more important that that, that whole talk-listen ratio is, is managed better so that everybody kind of gets this a seat at the table to talk and for you as the salesperson to learn. That's how, how we learn. So we talk about pouncing. The opposite of, of pounce is restraint. So how do you exert restraint during that time? And the restraint 
can very well be guided in those types of questions that are being asked. We've always heard in sales is all about asking questions. Well, what questions do you ask? You can build a library of hundreds of questions to ask a prospect, but at what point do you inject them? And then you're starting to get into this path of situational questions. So a, a good example that, that I like talking about is there's a lot of content that I've seen out that's produced about how to get how to open a call, cold email, subject lines, intro lines, first conversation. Do you have 27 seconds for me to tell you why I'm calling? The the connect and sell Chris Beal approach, which I love. But there's a lot of those things out there to say how do you how do you open a call, and then how do you have a discovery call, and then moving into the demo. And I think the demo is a point where that's where you need to exert the most amount of restraint. Because word vomiting can very easily take over that demo when you're showing a prospect your solution. But it's less about showing them your general solution and target that solution to what pain points you've learned about them and how do you showcase a feature that can help solve that or how you do it. And then holding that restraint or exerting that restraint to say, how do you see this helping you? Or how do you see this changing your operation for the better? Or even things like, have you tried to solve this problem this way before? Those types of questions put the prospect in the situation and in uh, using your product that help you as a salesperson exert restraint because you're letting them talk and you're trying to get them to talk about your product solving this problem. And that's going to give your springboard and it's just like a counselor. When a counselor talks to a patient, you're asking questions. You want them to identify. So you want them to kind of give you the answers while you're kind of guiding the conversation. So you use the term situational questions. I, I didn't use that term, but that's because I'm not as smart as you. Your term <laughs> is way better. I, I, just, I said in a script, I want to have, you know, in a decision tree. And as I work through the various branches, as the conversation plays itself out, every one of those scenarios, as I work through the branches, that's a situation. I now am in the situation where he's objecting to the price. So I now need to ask some questions as opposed to doing a word vomit to defend the value I clearly didn't establish in the first place, or I wouldn't have been here. So you're brilliant. And what I like about the situational questions, and, and again, why I like the script premise, is because if we actually take time to map out how we want a typical call to go and have that framework, it allows us time to come up with the questions that we want to ask to achieve the information we need, and we can put down that talking point in our own style of communication, our own phrases, our own words, our own delivery style. The situational questions are spot on. And in fact, situational questions and actually become a crutch, a good crutch, not a bad crutch. It's something you lean on, which forces you to shut up. But that is the big thing. The biggest thing I see between an experienced rep and an inexperienced rep is the pouncing. Because even if I ask a situational question, I could get a really positive response back and now I'm excited and now I pounce. And the minute I'm pouncing, I am off plan. And I'm going down a branch in that script and that game plan that I didn't plot. And, and then I'm lost. And then I'm using more word vomit to get myself back on plan to bridge it back. So 
your point about having restraint is the second thing that really hit me there. How many of you have actually practiced restraint when it comes to communicating? I'll give an example. I've been married 30 odd years. And even still, when we have a discussion, quote unquote, air quotes, um, and my wife is clearly wrong, I just want to cut her off and say, but you said, but if you recall, and I've had to learn if I ever want to have relations again, that I need to show restraint and show her the respect and listen to her as opposed to just shutting her down because then she doesn't feel heard and then she disengages. So your prospect's no different. I love the word restraint and that's not a word we hear often. Now you mentioned something. It was on my list to hit you up on, and I'm loving that you brought it up. You mentioned the conversational analytics, the conversational intelligence tools. Um, we use them uh, ourselves, and what I always find interesting is that the first I get as a CRO, I get a daily report from them that comes to me of all the key deals and a little synopsis and a stat, and every single one of those little synopsises is longest talk time and by whom. And uh, I find that so amazing that that is the number one thing they choose to share with me as part of their platform. Um, that's revealing. What does that tell you? And what are your thoughts on using those tools to help with the word vomit? So I'm, I'm going to answer this by asking you a question because I'm interested to hear what do you see in Lightning when you see that report and you see the longest talk time? Do you make some assumptions? Do you kind of say, hey, this is a problem or this is good or I want to learn more like what's what's the light bulb that goes off in your head as a CRO when you see that and kind of what's your what's your trigger and your next step so my trigger is when I see um, an outlier maybe that one rep averages an a, a longest talk time of a minute and a half but suddenly I see them when it's two and a half minutes then I want to go there and say, were they doing something well? Did something come up that they, they, they were you know, really talking about because they were excited and it was a good thing? Or is it a bad thing and they were doing word vomit? Literally, are they doing word vomit? And there, so there's a training issue there. So that causes me to actually open up the analysis. When I, when I, so many of these, I just I read them. I don't even listen. And I, I say, okay, I'm up to speed. I don't do anything. But when I see that, long, that, that outlier... Boom, I go and I open it up and I listen to that two and a half minutes or three minutes to get context of what's going on there. And then I will work with their manager on training if need be, saying, you know, you should work on this one. Um, they clearly didn't know the answer to this. It could be them or it could be the entire team. So that it's a chance for me to work with their manager and my sales enablement team to say you better equip them. Um, and then I advise where appropriate the sales manager to work on coaching, uh, skills development as well. Um, that's what I look for there. And then if I see it recurring, so there's a secondary thing. If I see it recurring, then what I tend to do is say, uh, okay, we have a problem here with this individual. So we need to either give them additional support or performance improvement plan, or maybe they're just not right for this role. So that's how I react. That's a big warning sign to me. So the reason why I asked that is I'm, I'm always interested. You talked mm -hmm. about call times. And I came from the outsourced contact center space in the early 2000s. And average handle time was like the number one metric. And I always asked myself, like, what's better, a, a shorter call or a longer call? And I started to understand that there's certainly differences. A longer call could very well relate to more in-depth troubleshooting or problem diagnosis with a customer. And maybe long handle times 
are okay because I'm ultimately satisfying the customer. And so why I was asking like, what triggers you when you see that report, where do you go? Do you, do you look at a negative or, or is it like, I'm going to go review this because I'm interested. Do we need yeah. to change something or do we need to triage something? And that's what was kind of interesting to me, but the conversational intelligence tools, I think are providing a lot of, a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of insight that we don't even know what to do with yet. So that's what I like about at a very high level, you can start parsing out, talk and listen. And, and that's step one. And then step two is maybe certain words being used or not used competitors. You can start tuning the, the system to try and find those things. Even some conversational intelligence tools will automatically QA calls. So if you have some things you want to measure in a discovery call, some things you want to measure in a demo, you can tune it to automatically score those, if you will. So going back to your question about what what can these tools be used for, what do I use them for, is I try to look at it in terms of a score or a playbook, if you will. And what I what I think between sports, even music and and dance, they all have a playbook. You're you're doing you're you're doing a choreographed dance. You're playing a sheet of music. You're executing a playbook that was designed by a coach, and everybody's kind of doing their their roles within it. <clears throat> so then, how do you measure the effectiveness of that? And you start looking at game film. You start listening to a concert. Why why else do people love hearing the same songs time and time again? It's the same thing. What what do you like about it? So that's what these conversational intelligence tools allow you to do: is start to figure out what's being said that that resonates or aligns with the prospect. And how do you construct your processes and get people to execute their part in these plays or these scores or these dances to be able to align to what the audience wants? And that's the bigger, I think, can of worms that can be opened up with these tools is it allows you to get to that micro level of every single call. And it, it makes sure that you as a CRO or you as a VP of sales that you can start to understand are the people doing what not only what I want them to do, but what the buyer wants them to do. And how can I do that without having to listen to hour long demos across 10, 15, 20 sales reps every single day? It's just impossible. So that those are the things that I'm really loving about these conversational intelligence tools and where they can help take sales efficiency. All right, word vomit. We all do it, we all suffer from it. We're all a little bit guilty. Some better than others because there is a little bit of situational awareness and they show restraint. But the fact of the matter is, according to Ed, if you have a good game plan, perhaps utilizing a script with powerful messaging and knowing when to actually ask your questions and when to listen, you can make this all go away. And if you need a little bit of help with that, you can either work with a colleague, work with your sales manager, or use a conversational intelligence tool and listen to your own calls and follow the little props they have on coaching and guiding. So that's kind of the whole conversation today, folks. And that, if you've not met him, that's Ed Porter. Now, Ed Porter, Ed and I go way back. He's a big player in the AISP. He's a big player on Rev Genius. He is an accomplished accomplished man. Uh, and if I recall correctly, if I get this wrong, Ed, I'm going to be embarrassed. You hail from the fine era of Columbus, Ohio. Am I doing right? Yes. Yes. Home of work. Anthony Annarino and Brandon Bernanchin and everybody else in, the, in that great uh, area. That is a sales hotbed. 
Columbus, Ohio. Who knew? So check him out. Ed, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Is it LinkedIn, email, Twitter, Clubhouse? I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, Clubhouse will have to be a different conversation. But uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. Ed Porter. You can also, my, my company is Blue Chip CRO. I'm starting to get a lot more active with, with that. And so, yeah, certainly look up either ones. And the one thing I'll ask, and I believe, Daryl, I may have heard this from one of your shows in the past, is if you're going to connect with me, drop me a note to say how you heard about me, what's interesting. I like to know how I connect with people, whether it's through Rev Genius, whether it's through AAISP, or whether it's through this Inside Inside Sales podcast. There you have it, folks. Word vomit. By the way, final thought on Clubhouse. There's an example of word vomit, and I'll just leave it right there. My name is Daryl Prell. You've been here for another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Take care, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inside Inside Sales podcast with your host, Daryl Prell. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking a moment to leave us a review on the platform you're listening to the show from today. Also, please feel free to share this program with your friends and colleagues. Thank you. Daryl will be back again next week.